Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're in the middle of a, a vision series, and we've been talking about this for about the last three, four weeks. And just so you know, we've, we've kind of moved vision. A lot of times we do it after the first of the year. But the reality is the church year is really like the school year. And so we've moved it to the front of the year, to the front of the year. And we're trying to lay out, hey, here's what we're going to be doing this year. This is a church. This is what we're going to be doing this year. And we tried to lay that out for you. We've said this year, you'll see this everywhere. It's on the doors. It's on the building. It's on different things you, you'll get. We've said it's lead the way. That's the vision for this year is lead the way. And we've talked about where it came from. It was, I was reading and praying. It's been about nine months ago. And I was reading and praying. And, and I was going through 1 Samuel. And it's the story of David and Goliath. And, and it was really interesting to me in that David uh, uh, is, is the youngest. And he's at home taking care of sheep. And his, his brothers, they're all out to war, man. They're all out doing battle. And remember that the king at this time is King Saul. He's Israel's first king ever. And they desperately wanted the king. And they desperately wanted the king. And they desperately wanted the king. God says, I'm your king. I'll always be your king. But you guys want a king so bad, I'll give you a king. And he gave them King Saul. And the reason, one of the reasons they wanted the king was for situations just like this. So now for almost 40 days, the Israelite army goes out and they line up. And, and on the other side, there's kind of these, these mountains here and there's this valley in between. And on the other side, the Philistines, this warring people, they line up. And, and the two armies line up together uh, across from each other. And the champion is Goliath. And, and the champion means one who goes between the two. And at that time, it was really common that a champion would step out and say, let's do this. Let's, you bring out your best and I'll, I'll, I'll fight you and winner take all. And every day he'd come out and yell, and, and they would all just run, and they were afraid of him. And so at one point in time, David's father says to him, hey, I want you to take you some food to your brothers. You know they're out doing war. I want you to take some food. So David takes the food, and he heads out. And as he gets there, Goliath makes his big scream and his big shout. And David looks around, and everybody takes off, and they're all running. David's surprised. He's like, what's going on here? And he asks somebody. He's like, oh, that's the giant. That's Goliath, and blah, blah, blah. And he tells him. And David... Now remember, one of the reasons they wanted a king was in situations just like this, where Saul. Anybody know? Nobody knows. I mean, Saul's basically gone. That's the reason they wanted the king. And we know this, that when God appointed Saul, the scriptures tell us that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. But he's afraid of Goliath. And the young shepherd boy, David, says, I'll fight the giant. Really? And so you know the story. He takes five stones, and he's got a sling, and he goes out, and just like that, and he drops the giant. And here's what, this is just what stood out to me from that story, man. I've been reading, and I've been praying about this, and this is, everybody else was afraid. And you know why they were afraid? Because the giant's scary. The giant's real. Like, he's real. He's scary. Everybody's afraid. Well, of course they're afraid. The dude's huge. But the shepherd boy defeats him. Now watch what happens. As soon as he does it, the scriptures tell us this. Then, then after he dropped the giant, then the men of Israel and Judah, these are all the Israelites, they gave a great shout of triumph. Oh, sure they did, but also they rushed after the Philistines. You know what they were looking for? They were looking for somebody to lead the way. And I feel very strongly God is calling us as a church to lead the way. And I've said this a million times, and you're probably getting sick of me here uh, saying it. I don't think the problem is the darkness. It's the light. Like the lights got real dim, we don't even know where the light's at sometimes. We're the light of the world. Where are we gone? Like, we're just like everybody else. We're a little bit afraid, a little bit scared. I don't know what's going on today. I don't know what we're supposed to do. I'll tell you what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to lead the way. 
We're God's people. We're God's people. And so that's what David, that's what we're going to do. So we've talked about that. We've talked about how there's a legacy for us to live. We saw how, how David, God told, God told Abram, rather, because we've been studying the life of Abram, and God told Abram, look, if you'll, if you'll do what I tell you, if you follow after me, listen, man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make you prosperous. I'm going to make your name famous. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all the people on the face of the earth will be blessed because of you. We've all been blessed because of Abram. Every one of us have been blessed because of Abram. How, you say? Because Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. He had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. One of his sons' name was Judah. And from the tribe of Judah came the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. And we've all been blessed. And we're saying there's a chance for us, too, to have a legacy. Now, our legacy isn't how much money we're going to leave. It's not some great accomplishment. We're saying the legacy we want to leave is a yes God legacy. And it's yes God lives that lead to a yes God legacy. And will we lead yes God lives? And last week, we talked about trust and how it's going to take trust. We're all going to have to be working together we said that from the get-go before we even started. We're all going to have to be in this. We've all got to work together. And then we're all going to have to trust. And we said this last week. You remember this? Trust isn't the same as believe. It's one thing to believe. It's another whole thing to trust. And trust means, remember this, you get in the wheelbarrow. It's life in the wheelbarrow. I trust. And so now we're continuing that. Today we're going to talk about, specifically, we're going to talk about honor. And we're going to talk about lead the way, and it's going to require honor. And we're going to talk about what that means today. What is honor? And how do I honor God personally? How do you honor God personally? How do we as a church, every single one of us, and those of you who are with us online, how do we honor God? So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you kind of hold your Bible so the pages are up and you go right to the middle, that's usually almost you'll find the Psalms in there somewhere, right? And right after Psalms is Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. And then when you get it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're new, we always stand when we read our primary text, our primary text. We won't be going up and down the whole morning, but our primary text, and just so you know, we stand because this is us acknowledging that this is about to be God speaking to us. This is going to be God speaking to us. I'm starting in verse 5. Follow along as I read. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding Seek God's will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will, find your, he will fill your barns with grain and he'll fill your vats and your vats will overflow with good wine. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We receive that as a word to us. You're speaking to us. And so now, God, we need understanding. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. We acknowledge your presence. We're grateful for your presence. We say thank you, Holy Spirit. But would you give us understanding? Would you speak to us? And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to speak supernaturally to each one of us individually in our own situation, in our own circumstances. What would you say to us from this text this morning? God, bring honor and glory only to your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You guys can sit down. Well, the question this morning is this. How many? That's the big question this morning. And let me ask you this. First and foremost, how many of you would just like to have flat out less stress and anxiety in your life? Like for real, for real. Like you just like to go, man, I got stuff going on. I got circumstances going on, but I don't freak out anymore. I go to bed, I lay my head down, I'm out. You know, what would that be like? Or when you wake up in the middle of the night, you don't, you don't, you don't stay awake and you don't toss and turn and you sleep with peace every night. There'd just be less stress and less anxiety. I'm not saying you're not going to have situations, but you'd like to have less stress and anxiety. Okay, here's another one. How many would you just like, flat out like to have to know that in every situation, wherever you're going, wherever you're facing, that God is there before you. You know that. Oh, God's here before me. And you completely trust in that. You know that. You know that God is there before you. All right, not done yet. Hold on. How many of you people would just like to have more meaning and purpose in your life? I mean, like, again, you got situations, but you're like, no, 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 no. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. This is my purpose in life. This is my meaning in life. This is why God has me here. This is, this is my calling in life. This is what I'm doing. And you had clarity about it, and you were sure about it. All right, let me give you one more. How many of you would just like God to open the gates of heaven and bless you? Anybody? Nobody? Just me. Okay, two of us. Angela, it's you and me. But you just want God to bless you. You say, yes. I would love to experience the blessings of God. Now, I have to say this because we live in America. I'm not talking just about cash. I'm talking about blessings. I'm talking about real blessings. Like you had meaningful, full, and rich relationships in your life. You had meaning and purpose just knowing that. That's a blessing of God. Yeah, would you like God to bless you financially and meet every one of your needs, right? That's included in it. But, but how many people would like to experience all these things? And the answer is, about all of us, if we're honest. Okay, that's what we're going to see today. But here's what I want you to see before we go any further, because this has to do with honor. And I want to kind of tell you the practical of how honor happens. So this is honor. Honor is you honor God when you give God what is due God. See, that's honor. You honor God when you give God what is due to God. That's how we honor God. So we're going to talk about that this morning. If you look in your text, Proverbs chapter 3, and it says this. How many, how many of you, by the way, how many of you ever had a life verse? You memorized it maybe. This is my verse. This is my, yeah. This, ever since I was a sophomore in high school, this is my life verse. This is what I've committed to memory, and this, this, is, this is my verse, man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't depend on your own understanding. This word trust and honor, actually, they're, they're, they're very almost replaceable. So that, in other words, when you honor God, it's almost a demonstration that you trust him. And when you trust God, it's a demonstration that you're honoring him. It says to honor God, to trust God. Now, just so you know, in the Hebrew, trust means this. It means, this is interesting, it's to lie face down. That's in the Hebrew. It means to lie face down, helpless. That's trust. That's actually trust. It's the picture of a servant who presents himself to their master, and they kneel and they bow, and they just put their head down. It's also the picture of a defeated warrior who kneels and bows before his conqueror. It's any way that you're acknowledging the power and the position of that one that you kneel and you bow to. That's trust. It can almost be replaced with the word honor. It's the same idea. 
This is what it means. So another way to say that when we say trust in the Lord with all your heart, it, it could be this idea of just give everything up. Just give everything up. Surrender to the Lord your God. And further it says this, to do it with all your heart, with every bit of your heart. To serve God half-heartedly is not to serve God at all. If I, if I, if I trust in the Lord, but then I also really trust in me and my skills and my abilities, that's not trusting God at all. There was a, a in the 1600s, there's an Anglican uh, teacher and commentator on the scriptures. His name is John Trapp. And I love this, this famous saying of John Trapp's. He says this, they trust not God at all that do not do it alone. I'll just read that again. They trust not God at all who do not do it alone. And then he kind of fleshes that out for us. He says, he that stands with one foot on a rock and another foot upon a quicksand will sink and perish as certainly as he that stands with both feet on a quicksand. Listen, this idea of trusting God, it's kind of an all or nothing deal. We don't just kind of, hey, for a little while, but hey, now I'm back, right? Trusting God, is, it's, it's an all-out surrender. It's an all-out commitment. And then the passage in Proverbs goes on. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, face down, totally surrendered. Don't depend on your own understanding because that's just the opposite. And that's hard for us. It's really hard for us. And just FYI, I battle it the same way everybody else does. I don't know, and we don't say this a lot, and you guys didn't say anything about it in announcements, but psst, I'm a genius. I don't know if everyone knows that. I'm a genius. <laughs> and so we just feel like that, don't we? Well, I know God. God's all wise. God's all knowing. But I really know this one. And then we start to depend on ourselves, and we trust in ourselves because we're intelligent, because we know everything. I don't know if you know this, but I graduated the sixth grade, right? Like, like, that's how we think. And so I'm a genius, and I know it. And in essence, that's kind of what we're doing. He says, don't depend. Don't depend on your own understanding. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure a room like this, it's full of folks who are just like, man, I was going to make this decision, and then I didn't, and I'm really glad I didn't. Have you ever experienced that? You were so sure, you were so sure, you were so sure. And then, and then maybe you heard from God, maybe you prayed, and you just said, I'm not sure why. And you're so glad now that you didn't depend on your own understanding, that you didn't rely on yourself. And then he goes on and he says, seek his will in all you do. And the key word here is his. Seek God's will. Seek God's will. How often do we do that? Like with our time, what we're going to do with our time? God, is this really how you want me to spend my time? God, is this really what you want me to do with my time? Do we do that with our gifts? Hey, I'm going to use my gifts for this purpose. Is that really what God wants? Do we do that with our money? Right? Because we think that just that. We think it's our money. We say, God, is, is that really what you want me to do with my money? Thank you. Because it's not. It's not yours money. Right? And then he goes on and he says, and now, I just want you to watch the principle that's work here in the scripture, because this is awesome. And you just got to gotta read the scriptures and, you, and, and understand this. Whenever God calls you to some form of obedience, whenever God calls you to do something, just trust me on this, it's always tied to a blessing. It's just the way God works. He says this, look, if you'll seek me and my ways and my will and my desires, if you'll seek that in everything you do, here we go. He'll show you which path to take. Now, don't you wish you could just do this like you're going on along in life and you're just headed like this and God's like, pss, pss, pss. no, more, more, more like this. No, a little more still. Okay, there you go. That works. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be great? Well, guess what? 
That's exactly what he just told us. If you'll seek my will, if you'll seek my ways, if you'll seek me in everything you do, in all your decisions, trust, because trust is an all or nothing thing. Honor is an all or nothing thing. If you'll do that, he'll show you which path to take. How many times would you just like to know in life, man, which is the way to go here? And this is important, and I'm stressing out over it. He says, right, seek me, seek my will. I will, I, it's a promise, I will show you which way to do. There's an if, if you'll seek my will, and there's a then, then he will. And it's the way the scriptures are always laid out. It's the way that God works. He continues, and he says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Here we go again. Instead, fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Fear, fear the Lord means acknowledging God. And if you do that, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. If you will, if you will, if you will, if you, if you, if you acknowledge me, if you follow me, you will have healing for your bones. You will have strength for your body, right? It's the if-then. It's the way that the scriptures always work. There's always a blessing when we honor God. And then he continues and he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Oh, I knew it. We had to talk about money. I knew it. Yeah, see, there we go again. It's not, this is just the scripture. And he says, if you honor, if you put first, now honor, honor is to put God first, to completely surrender to him, to acknowledge him. And if you'll do that even with your wealth and even with the best part of everything you produce. You should read this with an if in front of it. He's telling us, to, I'm just telling you, the blessing is coming. Now, we just have to be real clear on this. God is not going to be manipulated. And God knows our hearts. So we don't pull this and where it's like, God, I'm going to help them. Uh, I'm going to give them $10 because what I really need is 20 like, this is not some kind of negotiation with God. And this is not this for this. It doesn't work that way. God wants our hearts, and honoring God means doing our hearts. But here's what he says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And I'm telling you, you've got to read that with an if in front of it, because here's the rest of it. And then, if you'll do that, then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. It's the way that God works. It's the God we serve. Our God is a God of blessing. Why? Because it's about honor. Because when you honor God, right, the way you do that is you honor God when you give God what is due God. That's honor. That's honor. It's how our God works. And honor is followed with blessing. Now, I want you to see an example of this. And we've been following the story of Abram and Sarai. If you're new to this, Abram and Sarai will eventually have their names changed to Abraham and Sarah. And we followed Abram from all the way down here in Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. It's really probably modern-day Iraq. And his father lives there, Terah. And he lives there with his wife, Sarai. And they live there with their nephew, Lot. And at one point in time, Terah just said, okay, we're going to go over here to Canaan, it was called at the time. Today it's Israel, but we're going over to Canaan. Now, to get to Canaan, you can't just walk through the desert. Because if you walk through the desert, everybody's going to die. And so to get there, you go up here to Haran. This is the land was known because of the Euphrates River and this river valley. It was known, we said this before, as the land of comfort. This became the land of promise. And we ask this. How many, how many of you know this? Sometimes we miss out on the, on the promise because all we want is the comfort. And so Abram's up here, and God reveals himself to Abram. It's very interesting because when Abram lived down in in Ur with his father, we believe they worshiped many gods, and Abram worshiped the moon god. 
But now he's up here in Haran, and God has revealed himself to Abram. And he says, I want you to go down here into the land, into Canaan. I want you to go there. And he makes Abram all kinds of promises. And so Abram goes. And remember this, he takes Lot with him. Now, he had many herds, and Lot has many herds. And as they're in the land, as Abram is following God, and he's obedient, and he's doing what God tells him to do, he begins to prosper. And prosper in that day meant you got all kinds of herds. Now your herds are growing and growing and growing and growing. And Abram's got lots and uh, got herds and lots got herds. And their herdsmen now are starting to fight because there's, there's not enough field for all of them. And Abram doesn't want that. He says, hey, if you're my family, and we also know this, that where they were, there were other Canaanites and Perizzites around. And Abram now follows God, and we need to learn something from this. And he's, one of his concerns is, if we're all people who follow God and we're acting like idiots, the rest of the world isn't going to have any care for our God. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Because I know I'm talking to me for sure right now. And so he says, look, here's what we're going to do. Lot. You, now, Abram's the one that God's called, and Abram's the one with all the promises. And he just says to Lot, look the land over, look it all over, look everywhere, look at the land, and then just take whatever's best. Just go whatever's, wherever you want to go. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. No sweat. And what Abram's really doing is he's trusting God. He's trusting God. God, you've made all of those promises to me. And, and I know this for sure. The choices of other people cannot stop the blessings of God. They cannot and so, Abra, and so Lot, you go where you want to go, and, and I'll go the other way. And so Lot actually goes down in here into the, into, the, into the river valley that's down in here. This is the Jordan River that runs along here. And he goes down along here. Sodom would be over here, and he heads over there. And so as soon as he does, God makes him only more promises. He says, you know what? You're going to have so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them. In fact, the analogy he gives me says, look at the dust. Can you count the particles? Nope. Neither will you be able to count your descendants. Because because honor and trust are followed by blessings. Always, always in the scripture. Okay, so now here's what's happening. Here's Lot living down here near Sodom. And there, there are a group of kings that live around there. There's these four kings who aren't getting along with these five kings. And now all of a sudden war breaks out. And the five kings are tired of, of just being abused by them. And they attack the four kings. And they take everything that the four kings have, the land, everything. Part of that is Sodom, and that's where Lot lives. And so Lot is captured in all his possessions. And one of his servants escapes, and he gets to Abram. He runs immediately to Abram, and he says, hey, here's what's happening. And so Abram, it says, he has 318 highly trained men who, have all, who are all products of his household. And so he takes them, and they pursue this army that's causing all the trouble. And it says at night they attack them and they overtake them and Abram gets everything back. He takes everything and Lot is freed and Lot gets to go. And now Abram's going back home and the scriptures pick up back here in Genesis 14. It says after Abram returned from his victory over Kedorlaomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom now, the king of Sodom comes out. He goes out to meet Abram in the valley of Shava. That's, that's the king's valley. Abram's already had victory. He's recovered everything. He's got all kinds of stuff now because he recovered that. Lot has been released. Lot has gone back home. And this king of Sodom comes out to it. Okay, now we're going to get introduced to a new character. Really, really interesting. The very next verse, it says this. And Melchizedek, Melchizedek, remember that name. Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and he's a priest of God Most High. He brought Abram some bread and wine. Now, Melchizedek's really interesting because we know almost nothing about him. 
He's mentioned twice in the Old Testament. He's mentioned here and he's mentioned in Psalm 110. He's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 says, he has no father, he has no mother, he has no genealogy, he has no beginning and no end. Now, Melchizedek's really interesting because some people think that he was a, what we call a theophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of the Christ. That's a possibility. I would say, I don't know that it's a theophany. I think perhaps it's just a type of Christ. It's a great type of Christ for us to see. And, and here's why he's such a great uh, type of Christ. Number one, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Interesting. And also, he's the king of Salem. Salem will become Jerusalem. Salem means peace. So think about this. He's the king of righteousness, and he's the king of peace. Who else do we know? Jesus, king of righteousness, king of peace. It's very interesting. Also, he's a king and he's a priest, both. We never have any other occurring of that in the scripture. And in fact, how many of you have figured this one out? It's very dangerous when we give somebody civil authority and a religious type of authority. Have we figured that one out? That's dangerous. That's not a good thing, right? In fact, King Uzziah uh, did that one time. He did something. He was the king and he did something that only a priest was supposed to do. And God spanked him big time. He got in big trouble. And so here's Melchizedek. He's a king, and he's a priest. He's a king of righteousness, and he's a king of peace. It's definitely absolutely a type of Christ. We don't know anything else about Melchizedek. We don't know really where he came from. We don't know anything about him. And he just pops onto the scene, right? And now it's really interesting. He brings Abram some bread and wine. We can talk about that another time. But further, it says this. Melchizedek blesses Abram. Now know this, that the job of a priest is they're an intermediary between God and man. That's what priests do. They mediate. Jesus is our high, he's our high priest. He's our intermediary between God and man, only because now with his death and the tearing of the veil at his crucifixion, we can go directly to God. But Jesus is also our intermediary, right? It says, Melchizedek blesses Abraham with this blessing. Now watch how he blesses him. He says, blessed be Abraham by God most high. Abram, you just had victory. You've got all the spoils of war right now. You have been blessed. That's why you have victory. That's why you have all this stuff, because of God. He points him directly to God, and he refocuses him that everything he has has come from God. And then he turns around, and he says he blesses, blessed be God. Now he blesses God. Right, that's what a priest does, intermediary between God and man. He's just blessed Abraham, and he's reminded Abraham with this blessing, you've been blessed by God, brother. And then he says, and blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies. He's blessing God by giving God praise and honor and glory. It's God who's done all this. It's God who's done all this. Okay, he reminds Abram that you've been blessed by God. He reminds Abraham that all your spoils of war have come from God. Abram, you've been highly blessed by God. You have all this stuff from God. So then, then what? Then how does Abram respond? In other words, now Abram has a, 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 just this epiphany that everything he has is from God, that he's been blessed by God, that God has given him so much. So what does he do? Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Now, is Abram giving that stuff to Melchizedek? Well, in the physical world, yes, he is, but that's because Melchizedek is an intermediary between God and man. And so he's really giving to God. He's giving to Melchizedek as giving to God. That's the way that he's going to give to God. He's not going to go give it and just say, well, I'll set it in the middle of the field. There you go, God. He gives it to Melchizedek, who's a priest, right? That's the way that he shows honor to God is when he gives him. Now, listen, this word a tenth 
of all the goods is the word tithe. It is literally the word tithe. Tithe literally means 10%. And every time we start talking about a tithe in the church, some folks get really itchy. Because they go, oh, you know, Neil, that's, that's under the law. That's under the law. That's that law stuff. That's the Old Testament. That's the law. Let me just tell you something, just so everybody knows. Take note of this. This isn't under the law. This is 500 years before the law. He's not tithing because he was told to do it by the law. He's tithing to honor God. But this is 500 years before the law. The tithe was mentioned again under the law, and then it's mentioned again in the New Testament, where, where some Pharisees had tithed, and Jesus said, well, you should have done that, but you should have done more. See, it's really interesting that Jesus always ups the ante. He always ups the ante. He was speaking in Matthew 5, and he said, hey, you all have heard this. You've heard that it's wrong to commit adultery. Have we all heard that? All right, I'm going to up the ante. I'll tell you what. It's wrong. If you even lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. He just upped the ante. Jesus said further, he said, you've all heard that it's wrong to murder. Have we all heard that one? It's wrong to murder, right? Jesus said, no, 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 I'm up in the ante. I'll tell you what, if you even think harsh thoughts and speak evil words against your brother, you've committed murder. Jesus always ups the ante. This idea that we don't tithe because that's under the law, let me ask this, is murder under the law? Are we good with that now? We just go, well, I killed the guy, but you know, Neil, that murder thing was under the law. We, We don't worry about that anymore. Are we good with adultery? Are we good with stealing? No, no, they're more than just the law. They are principles, the principles. And the same principle is true here, that when we honor God, even from our wealth, even from our wealth, God is honored and he gets blessed. Here's the other really interesting thing to know about tenth, about a tithe. You know that in the scriptures, numbers are significant. In the Old Testament, numbers are very significant. Uh, Yell it out if you know, what does the number seven mean in the Old Testament? Completion. It means completion. It's completion. Seven days and then God rested. Why? Because it was complete. Yell out if you know, what does the number three mean? Three is perfection. It's whole. It's complete. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's three. Complete. Whole. Okay. The number 10 has a meaning in the scripture. Did you know this? 10 means test or testing, right? So let me ask you this. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt and now Moses comes down And God tells Moses, I want you to go and free my people. So what does Moses do? He goes to Pharaoh, and he's going to negotiate with Pharaoh. And he says, you need to let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not doing it. And so God sends a series of plagues to to the Egyptians. How many plagues does he send? Sends 10, because he's testing Pharaoh's heart. And then they later, they get out of Egypt, and they go to Mount Sinai, and God gives them a number of commandments. How many does he give them? 10. There are 10 commandments, because God is now testing their heart. Here's another one for you. How many times uh, did God test Israel when they were in the wilderness? Answer? Right, you might not know that, but you're guessing, right? How many times, you may not know this, how many times were Jacob's wages changed? He was testing Jacob to see if he'd be uh, consistent and faithful. How many days was Daniel tested? Ten days. How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? Ten. Five wise and five foolish. How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2? There's 10 days. How many disciples were there? No, there were 12. I was just testing you. I was testing you. That's a test. I was testing y'all. But the number 10 in the scripture, and what God is saying here with a 10th is, I'm testing your hearts. I'm testing your hearts. Will you honor me? Do you trust me? Right? 
And so I want to give you the principle because, man, here's what we saw over and over and over. When we honor God, when we trust God, it's followed by blessings. Now, I got to say this because I have to explain this because we live in America. Some of you know that there's a, there's a theology out there today. It's, it's, it's totally baloney, and it's, it's not totally baloney. It's, it's baloney the way that we've interpreted it, and it's called prosperity theology. And basically what prosperity theology says, you'll get if you give. Okay, this is silliness. God is not obliged to do anything. And furthermore, because we're Americans, it's always interpreted to mean financially. If you'll do this right, you'll, you'll get money. You'll get money. And God's ob- obligated to do that. God's not obligated to do anything. Have we figured that out? God does what God does. But God's a God of principle, and God lays out principles. And when we trust him and we honor him, God blesses us. And sometimes that does mean financially. So let me give you the big so what today, because I think this is important. When you give God what he deserves, that's honor. He gives you what you don't. Have you ever thought about that? God gives us what we don't deserve. Do I deserve this wife? Do I necessarily deserve the blessings that have come to my life? Do I deserve to be the pastor of this church? Do I deserve the meaningful relationships, the blessed relationships that we've experienced in our lives? I don't don't deserve any of that. But God has given. God has given. I tell this story all the time. And I was in kindergarten. We got our first, we got our first uh, allowance. Older brother, older sister, we all got an allowance that year. Everybody gets a dollar. You get a dollar a week. That's what you get. And there were rules. Ten cents goes in the, in the Sunday school basket when it goes by every, every Sunday at Sunday school. Ten cents goes in your penny, piggy bank. We could buy ourselves one, one hot lunch a week because we were brown baggers. We could buy one hot lunch a week. That was about 50 cents. Now you've got, you know, 70, 30 cents left. Kindergartner, knock yourself out with 30 cents. It's like get all the Snickers bars and all the... Who, remember Bub's Daddy, bubble gum. Come on, somebody. Thank you. And you can buy all the Bub's Daddy you want. Right? And I said, really, Pop? We've got to put a dime in the Sunday school basket. He says, oh, no, no, you don't have to. You don't have to. You just don't get an allowance. You just don't get an allowance. It's really simple. And so since the time I was that age, I, I've, just, I've been blessed. My life is blessed. To be honest, I've always been a tither. From the littlest, I know that's not everybody's experience, but, but that's just what we were told and that's what we did. And I didn't know there were any blessings coming with it. I got, uh, we had paper routes. Growing up, we had paper routes. We tithed off them. Got my first job at 13, washing dishes at a restaurant late at night. Tithed off it. Through college, I had jobs. I was packing trucks at UPS at 10, 10 o'clock at night. Tithed off it. We've been married. We tithe. God has always blessed it. Because when you give God what he deserves, when you honor him, God gives you what you don't deserve. God will bless you. Now, because I pastor a church and I pastor this church, I'd ask that we also think of it like this, just slightly different verbiage. When we collectively, when we give God what he deserves, he gives us collectively what we collectively don't deserve. And if we want to lead the way, we're going to have to honor God. We're going to have to honor God. And if we do that collectively as a church body, I'm telling you, God is going to bless. God is going to bless. Now, we've been talking this throughout the series, right? You can look at the big screen and we'll show you this. These are all the things that we've planned out for this year. We've got projects here at the home base. We've got things we're going to do in the na- for the neighbors, for the nations. We're starting a brand new school. Hey, just so you know this, November 30th, it's a Thursday night. It's the Thursday night after Thanksgiving. We're having an open house. Uh, Dr. Jason Winschlong, who, who we've hired him as our interim head of school. Guy's unbelievable. Guy's unbelievable. He's, he's a blessing from God. It's a resource that he's given us from God, right? 
And so he'll be talking. He'll be giving you lots of information. Right? All of these things together, all for the total year we've said, are going to cost us $6.1 million. Now, just so you know where that number comes from, 6.1. 6.1 is all, everything here. Like, in other words, you know that we pay the light bill, right? You're real glad now that we pay the heat bill. It's all of that. It's all of, everybody on staff's got to get paid. All of that is included. On top of that, it's all of the neighborhood types of issues that, that we're going to, pour into. It's all the global missions. Our church in Brazil and our church up in Seattle. It's our church that we're helping in, in uh, Brooklyn Center. I never know if it's Brooklyn Center or Brooklyn Park. It's in Brooklyn. And that's our church that we're launching in Brooklyn, right? And we're helping them get started. It's everything. It's everything, everything, everything is going to take $6.1 million. And so we're asking the church to pray and plan and dream about it. Now we've also said this, that this is a journey. The giving is a journey. It's a journey we learn over time, over time. And so we have stages we call first as a potential giver. If you're in the house today and you're new, technically you're a potential giver. You, you, you may give at some point in time. You're watching online, you're part of us, you're a potential giver. But then we, we, we look at the people who graduate and they become emerging, what we call emerging givers. And emerging givers are folks who come every week and this is great, there's nothing wrong with this, this is great. And an emerging giver says, the bucket's coming by and they say, hey, if you got a 10, if you got a 20, maybe occasionally, if you got a 50. See, that's an emerging giver, and they, they just give periodically. That's great. We love that. But then after an emerging giver, you become a consistent giver. And what consistent givers do is they say, hey, before I pay the mortgage, before I pay the rent, before I make car payment, before I pay insurances, I've already said in my heart, I've set aside and made my decision, right? This is what I'm going to do every month. And maybe it's 100 bucks or 200 bucks or 500 bucks, and it's just every month. And maybe some of you consistent givers have said, hey, I give a percentage every month. I give 3%, I give 4%, I give 5%. That's great, fantastic. And some of the fun is watching people grow and they say, you know, I started with 3% and now, now I give 5%. But then the next one on there is a tither. A tither is straight 10%. And some of you, that sounds crazy. 10%? I had a buddy say that one too many times. He just could not believe that I gave 10% to the church. He's like, Dude, do you know what you could do with that? I said, do you know what I am doing with it? Because I'm doing more than you could ever do with that, right? We always say this, 90% of your money with God is better than 100% of your money without God. Right? And so maybe you graduate. Maybe this is your, some of you graduate and you go, I'm going to become a tither this year. I'll tell you this, just so you know this, I've said this every single time. If you decide to become a tither, you tithe for 90 days. Just do it. Just tithe. 90 days right off the top. If at the end of 90 days, or do whatever you want, six months, you come back and you're like, dude, you robbed me. You are a snake oil salesman, and that was just the, the worst thing you ever do. You don't have to call the church, just drop me an email. I'll let the church know. We'll send you a check. We'll give you every penny back. You know I say that with great confidence? No one's ever done it. No one's ever been disappointed that they honored God? Who's like, man, I just honored God and it messed up my life? Nobody's ever said that. And then we have the last one is we have what we call extravagant givers. And extravagant givers, a lot of you who've been giving to kingdom builders. I've, I said this last week, and this will take a little while to sink in. We're not technically doing the kingdom builder name anymore. Now, don't anybody panic. 
We're still gonna we're still gonna support our hundred missionaries. We're still gonna support every one of them. We're still gonna support our missions projects. We're doing all of that. The reason that we've got, what we look at it now, it's just one fund. You just give to Cedar Valley Church. And the reason we're doing that is because feedback that we got from newer people and then feedback and counsel that we got from professionals who do this is they said, it's great. We love what you're doing, but it's confusing. It just confuses people. Because unless you're going to just thoroughly explain it every single week, it's confusing. Well, am, I, am I giving to Cedar Valley? Do I, am I giving to Kingdom Builders? What is that? How do I... You just give. So what we would ask you who have been extravagant givers is this your, your plan. And you'll say, well, this is what I've always given as my tithe. This is what I would do for kingdom builders above and beyond. And you're just going to write one number. Because on November 12th, we're going to ask the church, you've gotten these cards and we'll hand these out again on that day. We're asking you, would you give us a number for the next year? This is what we call a faith goal. This is going to be your goal for the next year. Right? And then, and then it, some of you now, here's what I know. Some of you say, well, I don't want to put down a number because I, I understand that. I really do. What I would ask you to understand is it's just, we're just trying to plan. And it just helps us make plans, right? And so would you begin to pray about it? We say this, that the way you make that decision is in a few stages. You pray first, you seek God. You don't sit down first and go, well, here's how much I got. And here, no, just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. And then you start to plan, you start to plan. But then we were asking you above and beyond that, would you dream? Would you dream? Would you dream? What if God was really in the midst of this? What if we dreamt? What if God was in this? What could we do? And then on November 12th, we'll have buckets. We'll have a moment in the service and we're all gonna walk down with them. We've been praying, we've been planning, we've been fighting and no, we're not fighting. But we discuss it, we discuss it. Man, God's been so abundantly good to us. We're excited this year for our number. It'll be the biggest number we've ever given. We're right there with you. Our staff is praying. Our staff is prepared for this. Our board has been praying. I know it's getting late in the service. I want to show you one quick two-minute video for this reason. Because in particular, look, single folks, nobody's forgotten you. We love you, we love you, we love you. We want you to pray, plan, pray, plan, dream, and then give. But if you're married, there's got to be a little conversation, right? And if you're not in agreement. So quick, quick video. Watch this for about two minutes. Watch this, and then we'll close service. So back in 2009, uh, the church had a capital campaign going on to expand the north end of the building to have some new facilities. The church was asking people to go through a 40-day prayer and fast. We wanted to be a part of it, uh, but at the same time we were fairly newly married and uh, finances weren't exactly our, our strength of ours at that point. We really wanted to make sure that we were hearing from God equally, that we knew unequivocally that we had heard from God if we were writing down the same amount. There was a promotion night. I don't remember what it was called. It was here at church. Um, because we had the young kids, I stayed home. And I, I just remember that night, I tend to give emotionally. <laughs> and, and so I was just pulled into it, wanting to be a part of it. The deadline's coming, we gotta get this done. And, and I called Carmen to tell her we should just give a certain amount. Because at that point, she, Carmen had said, wait, we agreed, right? and we're not in agreement here. Previously to that, we had checked in. Like we had each written down what we thought God was asking us to give and we were so far off. And it was a little disheartening because we were really seeking God and, and, and clear we're not there yet. At the end of the 40 days, okay, this, this is it, right? We finished this journey. It's, it's, it's time to see where, our, where the cards lay and we wrote down our numbers and we exchanged 
and we were in total agreement. Like it was shocking. For me, giving was always very obligatory. Like I was told this is what you should do, so that's what I did. And there wasn't a lot of joy attached to it, but wrestling through this process and, and really seeing God show up, there's been so much joy for me attached to giving ever since then. I've seen us continually to give, continually to challenge ourselves in giving, um, even above and beyond that sacrificial amount from back then. Uh, and every time we can give more than that, gosh, there, there's something really special about being able to do that. There's also been a lot of blessings, you know, for being faithful, for being obedient. We definitely don't live paycheck to paycheck anymore, so there's financial blessings. But there's so much more than that, right? We've seen so many things in our life uh, from our home to our family situation to relationships with our within our blended family. We give this, therefore we get that. It was not an expectation by any means to, to get the blessings that we got. They've been much more than we could have asked for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Isn't that awesome? That's just that's just part of the journey. It's just great, man. It's just part of the journey. And we're in the same boat. And we don't always see eye to eye. We don't go, oh yes, like Shocker, we agree. No. So we pray, we talk, we pray. And everybody's going to have to do that. Everybody's. But I'm telling you, yes, God, life leads to a yes, God, legacy. And there is a legacy. There is a legacy to be had in this church. And I'm dreaming of the day, man, with this, this community. It's so transformed for the name of Jesus Christ. And the, the vision that I bring back, the picture, the weird picture that I had from way back was this church is an anthill. And, and you all are the ants. No, and folks are just, every, just everybody in the community is just buzzing into the anthill. Now, again, I'll always say this because I think it's important. If you don't live directly on the east side of Bloomington, no, no, we need you. We desperately need you because you're a light now in your community because this is going to spread. And so we're asking you to play, pray and then plan and then dream. And then November 12th, we'll do that. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer this morning. So good to be with you all. Love this church. Love this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning. God, we want to be a people and a church who honor you, who honor you, put you in front of everything. We don't want to just say it, God. We don't want to just say it. We want to live out honoring lives. And so continue to just stir our hearts, Father. Continue to speak to us. And now, Father, as we leave this building, God, as we leave the building, would you help us be the church to a lost and hurting world that desperately needs a Savior? We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said.